Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, your go-to source for a quick informative look into the state of South Carolina sports, presented by the state newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and I am joined by reporter Ben Briner, and we are talking about South Carolina football's 38-27 loss to Florida this Saturday at williams Bryce Stadium, a very rainy williams Bryce Stadium. Ben, let's start with the big issue from this game, at least from the outside. Fans were very upset about the officiating. There was so much booing, so very much booing, so much angst. And it was interesting because sometimes that doesn't really fully envelop a stadium. And oh boy, oh boy, did it envelop this stadium on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the student section was throwing rally towels and plastic bottles. There was refuse suck chants going on. And I thought, let's look at the plays that seemed to draw most of the fans' ire. Starting with a 75-yard run early in the third quarter, South Carolina had just gone up 17-10. It seemed like they were getting some momentum. And before you could even type out a tweet to send it out, Florida had tied things up. Two things on that play. The first one was that a lot of people thought there was a false start penalty on the right tackle of Florida. Real quick, you took a look at that. What did you see from it? I think there probably was. I mean, the problem with false starts is that you see them pop really quick, you see someone move slightly, and then they blow the whistle. So it's a little weird to see, like, you know, I saw an angle from the from the back. I haven't double-checked 100% the TV tape yet, but it looked like he moved a little bit early. Maybe, like, one beat, but that's probably enough. And it was also interesting because, obviously, the fans couldn't totally see that and were still booing because of the other part of the call. Yeah, to get to that, I think it was uh, Florida's receiver Copeland was holding, or allegedly, I don't know. I don't even know how to address that in this situation. He had a big old handful of jersey. Now, the question sophomore is... Sophomore cornerback Israel Mukwamu. So what's the question here? The question is, was that outside the bounds of what is sort of normal blocking, which usually doesn't involve necessarily a handful of jersey, but sometimes can involve a handful of something. I know ESPN's rules analyst said, as far as I guess all, basically that Mukwamu wasn't doing enough to sort of create the separation that makes it obvious and dumb. It really looked like a hold. It just kind of looked like a hold. I... I, I will admit that I'm not 100% up to date on the exact fineries of holding rules when it comes to receivers and, and defensive backs and such, but these eyes kind of saw a hold. It seemed like a lot of people saw a hold. It seemed like the kind of play that if it went against any team, their fans would be pretty livid, and if it happened to another team, if Florida fans were watching it, most of them would probably, well, not most of them because, you know, fans, but the ones who could, you know, separate themselves from it for a moment would say, yeah, it looks kind of like he's being held. At least that's my my opinion on it. Yeah, he definitely seemed to have some separation, you know, holding out the holding him at arm's length using his shoulder pad or his jersey or something like that. I mean, that play really, I mean, there were several key inflection points in this game, but that felt like a big one just because it, it drained the momentum out of the building so fast. And it seemed like beyond that false start in the holding, which obviously are huge, it was a little bit of a breakdown too, don't you think? Yeah, I was trying to figure out exactly where the breakdown was. Initially, it looked like R.J. Roderick might have jumped into the wrong gap, but then I looked a little closer, and it looked like T.J. Brunson, their rule is sort of when you're trying to control a gap, you have to get your head on one side or the other, and the offensive lineman he was uh, going against pretty much just mushed him. So Roderick was going to jump to one side, and Brunson had to sort of at least kind of close off the other, and he certainly did not. It also didn't help that I don't know where the middle field safety was, but he was certainly not in the play by the end of it. So it definitely was a breakdown, and it definitely sort of robbed them of a chance to maybe build on it. Now, granted, they ended up going ahead again not that long after and then proceeded to lose that lead as well. 
And I think moving on to another play that frustrated fans, this is when I you could really start it to feel the, the anger in the stadium, was that interception by J.C. Horn. It was right after Ryan Holinsky fumbled. South Carolina was losing at that point 24-20, to and it set Florida up for a short field, and then Horn gets the interception, the, what would have been the first of his career in the end zone, looking like he really saved the team there, and then it's called back on him for holding. I looked at that replay. You looked at that replay. I think we both kind of agreed that was actually probably the right call. I thought it could have actually been worse because he face-masked him. He face-masked him, and it was really weird to see because usually you just don't see a a face mask get called in that kind of situation, and they didn't call it. But usually you don't see a guy just – I mean, he got him by the face mask, and he gave his head a good hard yank. So, yeah, that that one was a fine call. It was probably not fine in the eyes of people in the stadium who were just very annoyed that everything was uh, falling apart. But, yeah, no, that was a good call. You, you, you can't grab people by the head and, and jerk them around. That's, that's bad. And then compounding that, on the very next play, Florida gets a five-yard touchdown pass. But uh, it looked like they were definitely trying to run some interference there on the right side of the field. And Coach Will Muschamp and a lot of other fans on social media definitely thought Florida was trying to run a pick, an offensive pick, you know, an offensive pass interference. Was not called. What did you see there? I saw a pick. I saw a big old pick. I know sometimes there's rulings that if the pass is caught behind the line, it doesn't count, but it was caught in front of the line. And I mean, the guy setting the pick gave the defender a big old hug. And I know a lot of the time they don't call picks. A lot of the time, you know, South Carolina runs some of its own pick plays. That happens. That still was very much a pick. I don't 100% know how much it would have mattered because I can't quite remember the score at that point, but it seemed like the thread had started to, to get away from them a little bit. But... It would have at least backed Florida up and, and, and may, maybe made them kick a field goal. And, I mean, it would still back them up, but I think, I mean, they were on the five-yard line, so even with the 15-yard penalty, they're still in the red zone there. And then later on in the fourth quarter, Coach Wilmos Champ was flagged for uh, unsportsmanlike conduct after a kickoff. He had some strong thoughts on that after the game. Let's take a listen to what he said. Do you know why you got the unsportsmanlike? No, I don't. I got, the guy ran 40 yards away and dropped a flag. I have no idea. What is your... I'd rather them drop it on my feet. Did you say anything? Yeah. No, prior to I the flag? No, no, yeah. Something that you think warranted an unsportsmanlike? I, I, it's not my judge. Drop it on my feet next time. So clearly you were unhappy about the totality I'm of not the gonna, I'm not going to comment about anything else. Don't go 40 yards away and drop a flag. How about that? Yeah, Ben, so I guess what were your thoughts on that, and do you think Will Muschamp is headed towards a fine with the SEC? I thought it was an interesting sidestep of complaining about actual calls, and and clearly something that bothered him, because we didn't exactly see the the whole mechanics of it, so we just kind of have to take Muschamp at his word for for the way it happened, but certainly the TV camera did uh, catch him pointing across the field and, and yelling something. So it was interesting, because he obviously cannot complain about the actual calls without getting fined complaining about how someone threw a particular flag I don't think is findable. It could be. They could end up that way, in which case probably not the best spent money because you might as well get your money's worth complaining about what actually happened. But shouldn't say actually happened. What were actually impactful calls as compared to just something right at the end. I think he'll probably dodge a fine, and I'm guessing that's probably why he did it that way. It certainly was sort of an interesting different turn that I did not expect any of the post game to take. But, you know, this team always surprises yeah, he walked right up to the line, and you thought, okay, he might get away with this. And then he just kind of said, a little under his breath, gutless. And you're like, oh, that might be enough. It certainly added some flavor to the 
to the proceedings. <laughs> hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. All right, we covered the officiating. That was obviously one of the biggest storylines coming out of this game, especially from a fan perspective. But looking at the game itself and the plays that were actually made on the field, Coach Muschamp addressed this a little bit. The passing game really struggled outside of a few good plays and, you know, some garbage time stuff. What was the trouble for Ryan Holinsky? Well, I think he had a bunch of issues with both knees last week, and I don't know that that 100% solves itself overnight, even in in the course of a week. So I'm guessing he's playing on somewhat busted wheels. Not like he shouldn't be out there necessarily, but he ain't 100%. And then you have to factor in that it was wet and gross outside. And Florida seemed to kind of be stacking the box, be saying, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us over the top. And it seemed like there were kind of some balls that either got away from players or maybe if they didn't get away from players, they at the very least... Maybe there was some kind of miscommunication. It seemed like there were a lot of balls that fluttered and kind of went the wrong way, and you can't really afford that, and especially in a game where South Carolina had really more than a few good scoring chances or, you know, starting drives inside Gators territory, that kind of stuff, and they just didn't capitalize on those nearly as much as as you'd kind of hope if you want to sort of pull this kind of upset. Yeah, I should say, I mean, the fact that he even played at all still kind of amazes me after seeing the hits he took at Georgia— he must have an insanely high pain tolerance or the training staff or some combination thereof. Very impressive stuff. And it was wet. I think at one point, though, he was 8 for 22 for less than 100 yards. That was before those final two drives when he kind of just racked up some stats when Florida was just kind of content to let the game bleed out. I mean, especially on the deep passes, though, it seemed like they were just a little off. Yeah, it seemed like... Some of them seem like actual miscommunications, actual, you know, he was throwing it where someone really wasn't. There may be two or three of those. And some of them were just the ball was the ball fluttered a little too far. There was one play where a defensive back kind of got a little shove of Brian Edwards right at the end, and it kind of disrupted it. But those are going to happen. I mean, South Carolina's defensive backs are probably shoving folks here and there, too. It just seemed like kind of a, at times, kind of a cruddy day for quarterbacks. I mean, Kyle Trask, he had some really ugly balls as well. He finished out okay. But he had some pretty ugly tosses in the early going. Looking at the run game, Coach Muschamp said this afterwards. I mean, the run game really carried the offense, even with Rico Dattle, the team's leading rusher, getting injured on the first play of the game. Tavian Feaster and Mon Denson really stepped up big for this team. Yeah, I think Mon Denson is a, is a good running back. The staff has been pretty confident in him for a pretty long time. But yeah, it was, it was interesting that South Carolina managed to get as much mileage they did out of the running game. They broke some big runs. The offensive line looked good. Maybe a little inconsistent in terms of down-to-down stuff, but they would have these bursts where they could just, you know, tear off 8 to 10 to 12 yards at a time. So that was pretty interesting to see, especially if it's something that can carry through going forward. I know Florida was without uh, both their defensive ends, so that maybe has kind of an impact there. They broke out at least one new kind of concept in the run game, which I thought was interesting. Actually, I take that back. I think they broke out two, at least two kind of different wrinkles that I thought were pretty interesting. So it was very notable that they did kind of 
throw a little bit of the kitchen sink game plan wise at the Gators and you know for three quarters it had him in a real good position yeah and like you said Florida was stacking the box trying to make Holinsky and the Gamecocks pass and they still racked up 217 rushing yards Looking at the defensive side of things, uh, we talked to Javon Kinlaw after the game, and he said he left a lot of plays out there, and he put it on himself. He was pretty critical of himself, but overall, it just seemed like they were maybe a step behind where they were against Georgia a week ago when they pulled off that massive upset. I think that would be a very fair thing to say. I think if you look at kind of that last fourth down, which was what he was talking about, you know, he got a hand on Kyle Trask in what could have been kind of a game-changing play. And Trask just kind of slipped out, and then DJ Wanham just kind of took a few steps up but didn't fully close out on a sack and let a pass sort of be there. It just seemed like that, you know, they were missing a gap here or there, and they were I think they were rallying a little better against Georgia. They were closing things down. They weren't giving up that big play. And they end up giving up a few chunk plays against this Gators team, which coming in, Muschamp had kind of said that they rely on being explosive. They ended up giving up seven chunk plays, not a terrible number, but some big ones in the passing game, and obviously that 75-yarder. And and that's the kind of thing that they didn't give up against Georgia. They didn't give up that one backbreaker. They at least made them work for it. And you can say to me, well, they lost by kind of a big margin, but there were other sort of backbreakers that factored in there. But if you take out that one big ba- that one big run, that probably changes the whole complexion of things and... They couldn't afford it last week. They could probably a little more afford it this week, but they needed a lot more to go right if they were going to give up something like that. Now, before this game, in your prediction, I think you talked about this being a found money game. Basically, you know, South Carolina was projected to lose this game. The line closed, I think, to four points by the start of the game. So, I mean, it was, you know, they weren't huge underdogs, but they were projected to lose. Looking ahead, we'll get into this more in our next episode. I mean, this is where they got to take care of business this next three weeks, especially next week. They're going to Tennessee. I think you wrote in your column coming from this game. I mean, this is where the real work begins. It is. It's it's a very interesting spot where this team was this season and what they what they were looking at at the start of the third quarter, because you've got this team that started one in three and had pretty ugly losses to UNC and to Missouri. And then they kind of claw back. They beat Kentucky. They beat Georgia. And for a few minutes there, they were actually staring down, possibly stringing together two top 10 wins in a row. I think I counted it up, and since 1967, they've only had 10 top 10 wins total, including Georgia. So this was could have kind of been a big deal and sort of a feather in the cap of this weird Gamecocks team that's been up and down and struggled and has a freshman quarterback and had this insane schedule and all that junk. But, you know... Generally, you're supposed to lose to top 10 teams if you are not quite good. And this Gamecocks team really at this juncture isn't quite good, I don't. I think we can safely say. So the next question is, what kind of business can they take care of? Because they need to win the next two games if they want to go bowling. Pro- I mean, not guaranteed, but they should. And they're 3-4 and four right now. If they win those two, they got to beat App State. That's a good position to be in. If they lose them, they got to beat A&M or Clemson not great spot to be in, especially going on the road to AM. So I think that they can climb sort of to respectability, and that's what these next two weeks are about. This game, I don't know how we would have taken this game if they would have won, because it would just be such an oddity with how the season started to pull off what they would have potentially pulled off. But now you got to close the deal, and Will Muschamp said, coming off the Georgia win, he wasn't sure how his team was going to respond. I think they responded well. 
they responded maybe not quite as well as you could imagine, but almost as well as you'd hope. There was no letdown in them. So now the question is, can they avoid that letdown for two weeks when they should win? All right, we'll be back Wednesday to preview the Tennessee game more fully. As a reminder, please keep subscribing, following, liking, wherever you get your podcasts.